This is a guide to the night sky in February 2008. It is from the Sydney Observatory blog www.sydneyobservatory.com.au slash blog the, mater the material for this podcast is largely taken from the 2008 Australian Sky Guide. My name is Nick Long. I'm Curator of Astronomy at Sydney Observatory. To observe the night sky in February, go outside once it becomes dark. It does not become dark uh, for, most, uh, for most states in Australia until fairly late due to daylight saving. But if you go outside soon after it has become uh, dark, uh, take a seat, make yourself uh, comfortable. Make sure you're familiar with the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west. If you can, um, you would have... Uh, Either, you would have either had the Australian Sky Guide with you or you could have uh, printed out a sky map from the Sydney Observatory blog and you could, can be looking as you listen to the podcast looking at the map possibly with the help of a torch with a little bit of red cellophane in front of the torch to make sure that uh, light from the torch does not interfere with your adaptation to the night sky. In fact, it does take some time for you, for, for your eyes to become adapted to the night sky and uh, so sometimes it's worthwhile waiting for 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour um, when you, while you're sitting outside until your eyes become adapted to the dark. This month in the northern sky you can see the planet Mars. It's no longer as bright as it was in, in January but it's still uh, noticeable in the night sky in the north. It's uh, very famous for its uh, reddish colour and possibly it's a red colour that made uh, Mars be identified for the ancient Romans uh, with the god of war. Mars is directly below the constellation of Orion, one of the favourite constellations of the Australian uh, summer sky. And uh, Orion is, of course, a very useful signpost to find other constellations in the night sky. Orion itself is very easy to recognise with four stars in the rectangle and three stars in a row in the middle, representing the stars of Orion's belt. The bright star at the top of Orion, the furthest away from the horizon, is a bright star called Rigel. And Rigel, if you look at Rigel through a small telescope, it's a double star. It is a companion star. The bright star lower down in Orion is the star called Betelgeuse. That is a reddish star. It's a red giant star. It is... Uh, much cooler than their own sun, the temperature of about 3,000 Celsius as opposed to about 5,500 degrees for our own sun. And of course it's this coolness that gives it the red colour. But it is uh, still bright and easily visible because it's a giant star. Even though each square centimetre of, uh, of Betelgeuse does radiate much less light than their own sun because it's much cooler, but because it's such a huge star, it is still in total and uh, gives off a large amount of light.
beetle crews are so so large that if it has replaced our own sun, it would engulf all the inner planets, Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars. And of course, our own sun will eventually become a red giant at the end of its lifetime. Um, so it will not be a good time to be around. Fortunately, that is not likely to happen for another few thousand million years, maybe not even for 5,000 billion years. Above Orion's belt, there is the dagger of Orion. Now, it's, of course, it's a little bit odd that Orion, the giant Orion, wears his dagger above his belt, but the reason is he's upside down. And the, the stars of the giant Orion were first defined in the Northern Hemisphere, and so when we look at it, the constellation or the star picture in the Southern Hemisphere, we see it upside down. So Orion wears his dagger above his belt, and that dagger contains a very famous object called the Great Nebula in Orion, and that's one of the nicest objects in the night sky to look at through a small telescope. It's a giant star-forming region. It's a region where new stars are being formed. It's a large cloud of gas and dust, and inside it new stars are being formed. If you look at it through a small telescope, we can see four stars, four bright stars close together, the stars of the trapezium. These are relatively newly formed stars, stars only about a million years or so, which in astronomical terms are very, very young stars, and they've uh, blasted a hole in the gas and dust surrounding them, and that's why we can see them. But inside the nebulosity, there are many, many more stars, new young stars that have just been formed, but we can only see those through special telescopes that can only see in infrared radiation. And, because inf and the reason we can see them through these special telescopes is because uh, infrared light can cut through some of the dust and we can uh, look inside the dust, inside the cloud of gas and dust and see these newly formed stars uh, inside the nebula. If we extend uh, Orion's belt towards the left, that is towards the little bit below and towards the west, we reach a bright star called Aldebaran, and that is the brightest star in the constellation of Taurus the Bull. And that group of stars is relatively easy to recognise because they form a V-shape, slightly upside-down V-shape, and out of, uh, out of those stars, Aldebaran, slightly orange-coloured Aldebaran, is the brightest, uh, brightest star. If we go a little bit further, so extending the line from Orion's belt, a little bit further down and a little bit further towards the left, through Aldebaran, we reach, another cl reach a cluster of stars called the Pleiades, a very famous cluster of stars, often referred to as the Seven Sisters. And this is, of course, from a Greek legend referred, talking about Seven Sisters. It's interesting that, it that the legend talks about Seven Sisters because with the unaided eye, most people can only see six stars. The seventh one is, is a little bit too faint to be easily visible. But the story does refer to seven sisters, but it does emphasise that one of them has met with a disaster. So uh, 
it does emphasize that uh, six of them are brighter and the seventh one is fainter. Another interesting thing about uh, the star cluster Pleiades is that legends told about it by cultures around the world all refer to women, seven women, not just uh, not just among the Greeks, but American Indians and also among the Australian Aboriginal people. It all always the stories refer to seven women. Now if we extend uh, Orion's belt in the other direction, upwards and to the right, towards the east, we reach the bright star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. If you see anything brighter than Sirius, then it is not likely to be a star, but it is likely to be a planet. Sirius appears bright in the sky, even though it's not a particularly bright star, the reason appears bright, it is relatively close. It's about nine light years from Earth. So light is from Sirius has taken nine years to reach us. Stars can appear bright in the sky for a number of reasons. Either they're very close or because they're intrinsically very bright. So with Sirius, the reason it appears bright and the brightest star in the sky is because it is fairly close, one of the closest stars to our own solar system. If you look below Sirius, a little bit somewhat closer to the horizon, we reach two bright stars, and these are the two bright stars of the constellation of Gemini, the twins, and they are Pollux, which is the higher of the two stars, and below it, Castor, which is the one closest to the horizon. If we look further towards the right, further towards the east, we reach a star called Regulus, which is the brightest star in the constellation of Leo the Lion. And this star is 77 light years from us, but it is fairly bright because it puts out far more light than our own sun. It puts out something like 140 times as much light as our own sun. Now, Regulus is uh, interesting for a number of reasons. One of them is that it lies on the ecliptic. It lies on the line formed by the planets as they uh, move around the sun and the planets appear to, to always fall on this line of the ecliptic. And very close to uh, Regulus, um, a little bit further towards the east, a little bit further towards the right, uh, is the planet Saturn and that is uh, making an appearance uh, this month in February and that is of course the most spectacular or is one of the most spectacular objects in the night sky to look at through a small telescope and it looks spectacular because it has rings it has uh, um, these very obvious uh, rings surrounding the disk of the planet through a telescope uh, these rings appear solid but of course they're not in reality solid. They're made up of icy particles ranging in size from a grain of rice to boulders the size of a house. And these icy particles circle around Saturn and we see them appearing as this uh, solid ring through a small telescope. If you go over to the southern part of the sky, if you look uh, towards the Southern Cross, that's a little bit higher up in the sky than uh, it was in, uh, 
in January. It's lying on its side in the southeast. It is a compact group of stars with two stars below the two pointer stars, Alpha Centauri, closest star system to Earth below, and then above it, Beta Centauri, and they're the two pointers to the Southern Cross. Now to the right of the Southern Cross, and a little bit above, we find the constellation of Dorado, which means the goldfish. And that constellation is only made up of very faint stars, so it is very hard to find, except its one claim to fame. It contains the large Magellanic Cloud. This is one of the closest to small galaxies to our own galaxy. It is easily visible to the naked eye from a dark spot out in the country. So it is uh, from cities, unfortunately, just like the Milky Way, um, we can no longer see um, the large or the small Magellanic clouds. But from a country, it does look like a cloud in the sky, um, and it, uh, it appears this fuzzy cloud in the sky, except, of, except of course, it's bright, while in the country, the clouds are dark. The large Magellanic Cloud is one of the uh, galaxies that's closest to our own galaxy. It's circling around our own galaxy and most likely will eventually uh, crash into our own galaxy. And uh, astronomers in recent years have found evidence that our own galaxy is made up of uh, many bits of other small objects, smaller galaxies, which have crashed into it in the past and have just been absorbed by the Milky Way galaxy. In 1987, a supernova exploded in the large Magellanic Cloud. This was uh, the only naked eye supernova or exploding star for the last 400 years, and that has become one of the most studied, studied objects in the night sky uh, ever since 1987. If you look above above uh, the large magic cloud, or if you're in a city, then uh, you can find, uh, you can uh, just look directly south, reach a star called Canopus. One way of finding it from a city, if you, it's a little bit hard, if you cannot see the large magic cloud, is to extend the up, up foot two stars of the Southern Cross, the star on the left and the star above the Southern Cross, and extend those two stars towards the right and above, we reach Canopus. Now this is uh, the second brightest star in the sky. And this is very different to uh, Sirius. Sirius, if you recall, is bright not because it's intrinsically bright, because, but because it's relatively close to us. Canopus is at quite a large distance from us. It's 313 light years away but it is intrinsically a very bright star, putting out 15,000 times more light than our own sun. This completes the guide to at least what's up in the sky in February 2008, but I will tell you about an interesting event that is taking place in February, and that is a partial eclipse of the sun that's visible on the Seventh Thursday, the seventh of uh, February, in the afternoon, and this will be visible from uh, cities in southeast, uh, southeast Australia, 
um, but not visible from Perth or Darwin. Not a high fraction of the, of the sun will be covered by the moon. In Sydney, it will be 21% of the sun will be covered by the moon, while Adelaide, only 2.5% of the sun will be covered uh, by the moon. Remember, it's always dangerous to look directly at the sun, but there are indirect techniques of projecting the image from the sun that uh, can be used that are completely safe to look at the sun. So it's certainly something that is worthwhile looking at. Looking at an event worth looking out for, provided you can uh, look at it safely and not look directly at the, at the sun. This concludes the Guide to the Night Sky in February 2008. It is from the Sydney Observatory blog, which is www.sydneyobservatory.com.au slash blog. <laughs>